Hey there, welcome again to my channel. So glad you could join me today. We're going to get into the Word of God, continuing our study on the rapture. I highly encourage you to go back to my last video, which proved through explicit scripture the timing of the rapture. And so we're going to today cover some other arguments uh, that pre-trib rapture tries to bring up and try to find what the Bible says about these things. And I've learned that I know most Christians are not, not going to let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. They're just going to believe what they want to believe. But I would encourage you to pull out your Bible and read these scriptures and uh, see what the Bible says. Don't go by what you've been taught. Go by what the Word of God says, because you need to know the truth. And if post-trib is true, then you got to make that adjustment, however, however uncomfortable it may be. And I believe I have already proven explicitly the Scripture teaches that post-trib. Pre-trib has no explicit Scripture. Their entire argument is based off of types and shadows with no Scripture saying anything like there's a pre-trib rapture. I encourage you, find the pre-trib Scripture or Scriptures. There are none. It's all based off of a lot of types and shadows, and therefore there's no argument at all. Well, before I get into it, I haven't really got into it yet, but I have a lot of scriptures to give you tonight. Um, I do want to welcome all our newcomers. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for all that support the ministry. You can support the ministry at thomastaylorministries.org. Thank you. You can visit and hit the donate link over there at thomastaylorministries.org. And uh, that helps me tremendously produce videos to help people prepare for the last days. This is a Bible prophecy uh, channel and ministry uh, to a large degree. And so um, you need to know what's coming according to the Bible, not to ever, ever, ever be afraid. Absolutely not. We, ha we have no business having fear in our heart. But to read the scripture, believe what, what the Bible says, and to do what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? It says we're to preach this gospel in all the world. That's our our motivation in the end time, not fear, but to get this work done quickly before the Lord returns. Um, so you can also take advantage of the resources at Thomas Taylor Ministries. You can donate there. I also have another website here, which you can see is called the Wormwood Prophecy. And that's where I teach um, about the Wormwood Prophecy uh, over there in the book of Revelation. And so the Wormwood Prophecy it's talking about um, a wormwood asteroid that's coming. And so this asteroid uh, is very interesting. It could be the one called Apophis, which today is interesting that I'm shooting this today. This happens to be April 13th, the year 2022. To the exact day from today is the day that Apophis arrives. And uh, it could be potentially the Wormwood asteroid, which would mean it's going to hit us in exactly seven years to the day. Friday the 13th, 2029, April 13th, 2029. So I have lots of material on my website, wormwoodprophecy.com or wormwoodasteroid.com. You'll get there either way. Um, and I got all kinds of scientific material there as well, well as some scripture teaching as well. And so take advantage of that. Uh, that's where I had a lot of these videos as well, if you want to learn about the end times. But let me just jump right into what we have for today. Uh, we're going to be refuting the pre-trib rapture uh, hypothesis. 
Um, I've already covered proving post-trip, so I'm not going to go through all that again. That's in my last video. But now I'm going to take the arguments that the pre-tribbers have and say, okay, where's the scripture? Show me the scripture. And obviously there's none. Um, and, and, and I'm going to just break apart really their arguments and prove that they're, they're not standing on anything. It's something they want to believe because it, you know, it obviously is, it makes them feel better to know that we aren't going to go through tribulation. All kinds of bad things uh, are mentioned in, in, in the tribulation and, and Christians don't want to go through that. And what pastor wants to tell their congregation, Hey, we're going to go through this stuff. Pastors don't want to do that, but if they're going to be honest, they need to read the Bible honestly. And so it's real simple. It's it's real. I'm sorry, that's not their word. It's real tempting for a pastor to hear a word like, hey, we're not going to go through the tribulation and just grab a hold of that, not really study for themselves very inten intensely, uh, not to see if there's actually scripture, because there has to be scripture. There has to be two or three scriptures that prove a doctrine. It's not a doctrine unless you've got two or three explicit scriptures uh, proving it and not in the same place either. They have to be in different parts of the Bible to prove a doctrine. And so there's zero scriptures, not even one proving a, a pre-trib uh, rapture. And so without a, a single scripture, how can pastors teach this stuff? There's not one scripture. Not to mention two or three. There's zero, not even one. I mean, can you give me one? I know you can't because it doesn't exist in the entire Bible. And so um, we're, we're going to, I've already started with giving you the explicit scriptures proving a post-trib rapture. Um, but pre-tribbers start with types and shadows and then that's it. They have symbols and that's it. There's no scripture explicitly stating their doctrine. Zero. Um, and without any scripture proving their doctrine, there, there is no doctrine. It's not a doctrine. It's, it's something they hope happens. And I mean, if, if, if it happens, man, I'm not going to complain about it or nothing. But I know it's not going to happen because I know what the Bible says. It, Jesus said it over and over in uh, John chapter 6. We'll be raised up on the last day. Well, how could it be the last day? How can we be raised up pri seven years prior that's not the last day if there's still seven years in front of it. It's just simple logic. You've got to believe Scripture. You've, you've got to, or you're deceiving yourself. Just believe the Scripture that will be raised up on the last day, like Jesus said. It's not complicated. He said, after the tribulation of these days, then the Son of Man will come and gather his elect off the earth. There's no Scripture in Matthew 24 mentioning a pre-trib rapture in Matthew 24. There's no, not a single verse that says that. But the rapture happens right there like he says it does. He gathers his elect after the tribulation of those days. It's exactly like he said. Why, why, why don't pastors and ministers study? Because they want to believe something is true that's not true. They don't want to follow normal Bible interpretation, which requires two or three explicit scriptures to establish a doctrine. They'll do it for all kinds of stuff like justification by faith and, and, you know, uh, salvation through the cross and, and the virgin birth. And, and they'll do it for every other subject except the rapture. It's true. So let's get into it. So one of the main arguments that I hear from pre-trib is that we're going to be saved from God's wrath. Saved from the wrath of God. 
That is absolutely true. We are going to be saved from the wrath of God. And so I agree 100% with pre-tribbers. We're going to be saved from the wrath of God. But that's their entire argument. For the most part, why they think there's a pre-trib rapture. It's based off of this concept. We're saved from the wrath of God. And so the difference between them and I is I have gone and studied where the wrath of God is mentioned. They assume the seven-year tribulation is the wrath of God with zero scripture. Zero. Not one scripture says that. None. There's no such thing that anywhere where it says the seven years is the, is the wrath of God. Daniel's 70th week. There really is no seven-year tribulation. There's the great tribulation in the final three and a half years. Nonetheless, Daniel's 70th week is a seven-year period for the Jewish people, and they will undergo persecution. But nowhere does it say it's the wrath of God. When we see the wrath of God, there are certain characteristics that we see by the wrath of God. Basically, it's complete annihilation. Noah's flood would be an example. Complete annihilation, nothing left. Sodom and Gomorrah, nothing left after the wrath of God. Just leveled everything, right? And so that's the nature of the wrath of God. And so it is in the last days. When the wrath of God comes, there's not going to be seven years. Nobody's going to live through it. It's, it's going to be that bad. Um, now, the wrath of God that is coming, there are going to be some people that are going to live through it because it's going to be um, in s- specific areas, particularly like the battlefield of Armageddon and things like that. No one's going to leave that battlefield, okay, uh, that are hit directly with this wrath of God. There are those that are going to be on the outside of the battlefield that'll start running, but those in the battlefield, the horse's bridle will have blood uh, up to the horse. There'll be blood up to the horse's bridle. So that's, and that's for miles and miles and miles. So that's an example of the wrath of God. But first Thessalonians chapter one, verse 10 says this, it says, and to wait for the, his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Glory to God. We are saved from God's wrath. The question is, when is God's wrath? I propose it absolutely is not the final seven years, this Daniel's 70th week. But this verse is clearly talking to Christians that we are saved from God's wrath. We were saved from God's wrath on the cross. Therefore, God's wrath that's coming, that it says, is to come. We're not going to be a part of it, the Christians. No Christians will be touched by the wrath of God. Not one Christian will all be saved from it in the rapture. But I believe the rapture is at the end, and I'll prove that. I have proven it, but I'll continue to prove it. And so, um, is the seven years, Daniel's 70th week, the wrath of God? Of course, the pre-tribbers would say absolutely because it fits their theology, but we can't make conclusions uh, to fit our theology. We have to find out what the Word says, and that creates our theology before we conclude and assume the seven years is the wrath of God. Nothing but an assumption. There's no scripture. And that's the problem with it. Are there any scripture saying that Daniel's 70th week, the final seven years of this age, is the wrath of God? 
No. The answer is definitely no. Can you think of any? I know you can't because there isn't any. There's not one. But the entire doctrine, and it's not even a doctrine, it's a theory at best, hypothesis at best, is created without any explicit scripture. I mean, why doesn't the church study the Bible like the Bereans, you know? It's easier because it sounds better to believe in a pre-trip rapture, but they don't, they don't understand. Being saved from the wrath of God far outweighs being saved from the seven years that, you know, they call the tribulation. All right, so we're going to get into, are there any scriptures that show us where the wrath of God actually begins? Yes. Where is it in the end time? We're going to get into the book of Revelation. Uh, if the final seven years can be proven to be the wrath of God, the pre-trib rapture is true. Um, but there, again, there are no scriptures saying that. But the Bible does tell us exactly when God's wrath begins in the book of Revelation. And we're going to find out where that is. And of course, I'll go ahead and clue you in. It's at the end. And that's going to shake you up if you actually decide to believe the Bible. You mean the wrath isn't mentioned until the end? Like way into the, the book of Revelation. We're going to start. Now we're going to start in uh, Revelation chapter 6. Because this is the first mention of the word wrath. So we always go with the first mention and, and study everywhere the word wrath is mentioned in the book of Revelation. The first mention of the word wrath is, is in chapter 6. Because, you know, the argument from pre-trib is, you know, we're not appointed to wrath. You know, God's not going to abuse his wife. And, of course, that's true. God never is never going to abuse his, his bride. He purchased with the blood of his own son uh, to save us from wrath. But the problem is they don't know when the wrath actually begins. They haven't done a study. They make an assumption. And so they believe, pre-tribbers believe consistently across the board that it, the wrath of God starts at the sixth seal. And I'll, I'll read that, and we'll see if that's actually true. But here's the interesting thing. Well, what about the first five seals? <laughs> if it's first mentioned at the sixth seal, then why do you assume the first five seals are also the wrath of God? See, they have a problem with their own theology right there. And so let's go look at the sixth seal. This is in Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth and made of hair, and the, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs, which is shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mount, mountain and island were moved out of their places. You know, of course, if you've been listening to me, that this is... Uh, the Wormwood Asteroid in Revelation 6. But let's keep reading. Verse 15 says this, The kings of the earth, this is important, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and the free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Follow on us and hide us from the presence of him who, him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who said it? 
They said it. They said, this is the wrath of God, the asteroid, Wormwood. For the great day of their wrath, God's wrath, Jesus' wrath, has come. Who's able to stand? They said this. Obviously, I'm making a point here. God didn't say this. You have to understand that the Bible records all kinds of things that actually aren't true. Believe it or not. It records the words of the devil, and he's a liar. The recording of someone saying something doesn't mean that it's true just because it's in the Bible. The Bible records it accurately, but that doesn't make it true. It has to be true because God, inspired through an apostle, a prophet, said something. An angel. So this is a recording of what men said. This is not the wrath of God. Of course, people would assume an asteroid hitting the earth would be, well, that's the wrath of God. You're going to hear that when it happens. People are going to say on and on over the news media, that's the wrath of God coming. It's the wrath of God coming. They're going to look and their hearts are going to fear for fear because they're they're afraid to see what's coming because it's in the sky and they see it coming they can see something a future event happening that's why they're going to be afraid to the point that they're going to have heart attacks and die people will be killing themselves and all kinds of crazy stuff anyway my point is obvious that this is not the wrath of god even though it mentions the word wrath revelation 6 with the asteroid this is not the wrath of god yet the first place where god inspired one of his created beings, his prophets, and his people, to mention the wrath of God, is still in a little further into the book of Revelation. Let's, let's get going into it. That's in Revelation 11. This is the first mention of God's wrath. So this is past the seals, the sixth seal, and this is now in the time of the seventh trumpet. That's way into the book of Revelation, way into the seven years. And I believe it's after the seven years because it's at the last trump. The seventh trump is the first time wrath is mentioned. Proves my point perfectly in a post-trib rapture. We're raptured at the last trump. So let's read it. Then the seventh angel sounded a trumpet. You can read it for yourself. He's talking about the seven trumpets. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, remember who's about to speak here? The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying... Who's speaking? The 24 elders. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came. This is the second mention of the wrath of God. Or, I'm sorry, the second mention of the word wrath. The first mention I've already covered isn't talking about the wrath of God. It's talking about what men perceive to be the wrath of God. This is the first mention of the elders in heaven, and I think they're filled with the Holy Ghost and know what they're talking about when they're speaking these prophetic words. They say that this is the wrath of God. So the question is now, when is this spoken? The seventh trumpet. 
This is when the seven bowls of God's wrath will be poured out. See, I believe all the sevens line up. The seventh seal lines up with the seventh trumpet. Those happen at the same time. And under the seventh trumpet are the seven bowls of God's wrath. The sevens all line up. It's an easy way to remember it. So this is the first mention of the wrath of God. It's well into the book of Revelation. It's at the seventh trumpet. That means it's after the, the, the uh, final seven years. Daniel's 70th week. Proven. Perfectly. All right. It is the prophetic word of the Lord that this is the wrath of God. And nothing prior to this is mentioned as God's wrath. Not by Jesus, not by angels, not by elders, not by John, who's writing the book, not by the four living creatures. This is the first time it is inspired by one of God's or God's elders to prophetically, through the Holy Ghost, speak that this is the wrath of God. Read it for yourself. Study the word wrath throughout the book of Revelation. All right, when's the next time it's mentioned? It's also mentioned here in Revelation chapter 14. We get a little bit more detail. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out of the altar. He called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster of the vine of the earth and threw them into the wine, great winepress of the wrath of God, the great winepress of the wrath of God. So there was a good harvest, which was mentioned just prior to this verse. But now we get to the grape harvest, which rep represents the wrath of God. It says it here explicitly. This is the wrath of God. Notice where it's located deep into the book of Revelation, all the way into Revelation chapter 14. This is where God pours out his wrath on Armageddon, and I believe in on much of the earth, wherever false religion can be found, boom, his wrath is going to be poured out. In all kinds of false places and things, his wrath is going to be poured out in fire. Now, some say, well, we're rescued seven years prior to this. So that still means we're rescued uh, from the wrath of God mentioned way over here in Revelation 14. Well, give me the scripture. Just give me one scripture, two scriptures, any scriptures that say we're rescued seven years prior to this. You see, this seven-year thing is not mentioned anywhere where the rapture is mentioned. Not explicitly. It's The seven-year thing is over there in Daniel. And it doesn't say anything about a rapture there. So they're associating some things that you can't associate with, particularly trying to put something in front of Daniel 70th week over there found in Daniel 9. How can you how can you just plop a rapture over there? I can put a rapture at the end because Jesus said, I'll resurrect the people on the last days. I can put a scripture on, I can put a rapture on the end because Jesus said after the tribulation of these days, then the elect will be gathered. I've got scripture. Preachers have zero scripture. Let's keep going. Revelation 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last plagues, because in them 
The wrath of God is finished. Again, all mentions of the wrath of God are at, at the end. Over here, Revelation 15. It goes on to talk about in chat in verse seven, uh, the seven living, uh, the four. One, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven go- golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who live forever and ever. And that specifically is the wrath of God. The seven bowls of God's wrath are actually called that. Preachers even know this, but they believe the entire seven years is wrath with with no justification, zero justification. It's just something they want to believe. Another mention of the wrath of God is in the next chapter, chapter 16, well into the book of Revelation. Then I heard a voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's wrath. And I'm not going to read that for time's sake, but you can read it in Revelation chapter 16, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and just keep reading. That's the wrath of God. It's, it's the bowls. There's even another mention, which I'm not, for time's sake, going to get into it. It's in Revelation chapter 18. We're talking about the wrath that's going to be poured out there as well on false religion. So all this proves conclusively the wrath starts well into the book of Revelation, starting at chapter 11, the the seventh trumpet. And then chapter 11, chapter, what do we do? 14, 15, 16, 18. Okay, this is the wrath of God. Do not assume Tribulation is the wrath of God just because you know bad stuff's happening. That's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is something very specific. Uh, and when he pours out his wrath, there's nothing left. It's There's no way people are going to live for seven more years if he poured out his wrath in an area. That's, that's not going to happen. That's not how wrath works. All right. What's happening is judgments. God's removing his his presence and his his protection and allowing the devil to have way he'll he'll through the antichrist slay and kill christians so that's going to happen We're, we will be persecuted all right so this is what pre-trivers say uh, are there proofs and i've just taken one pastor famous pastor preaches online known all around the world preaching a really strong pre-trib doctrine. And so I'm just going to go through what he says because he basically mimics what most of the other pre-tribbers say. And I'm not going to mention his name because that's not important because they're, they're all pretty much the same. But his number one proof that he starts off with, and this one's really good, this, he says this. Uh, let's read the scripture. He, he goes into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's obviously the rapture. But he says this. Notice it says it's the trumpet of God. See, it's, it's singular. Therefore, the singular trumpet is the pre-trib rapture. But when it mentions trumpets plural, that's not the rapture. Over there in Revelation where it talks about the seven trumpets, plural, that's not the rapture. Because the rapture always has a singular to it, the singular trumpet. Oh, really? All right. Well, there's a big problem with that. <laughs> uh, if you've ever read First Corinthians chapter 15, let me give you a verse. Try verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
Well, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed and goes on to talk about, you know, we'll be raptured. The last trumpet makes it clear that there were prior trumpets. And the pre-tribbers all agree this is a rapture verse. So, no, there's no argument with, oh, trumpets singular means the pre-trib rapture. Trumpets plural in Revelation is not. <laughs> that's, that's nothing to do with the, the rapture. Wrong. All right, but let's go through some more arguments. Yeah, they believe in the shofar, and that very well could be it. We may hear a shofar. All right. Number two that they gave. They use typology. Because there's no scripture. They have to go to typology. That's it's that's that's their entire stance is on types and shadows and symbols. Because there's no scripture. So they believe something and they apply it to the scripture instead of reading the scripture and say, oh, that's what it says. I have to change what I believe. Okay, it's, uh, yeah. So common, this is common in pre-trib doctrine is using the Philadelphia church as proof, you know, we're going to escape early. Revelation chapter three, verse 10. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance, I also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So they're using the Philadelphia church that Jesus was talking to here and saying that's talking to the whole church today. That's, that's not true. All right. Jesus is talking to the Philadelphia church in his day. How do I know that? Because that's what the scripture actually says. The scripture says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave to show his bondservants the things which must, which must soon take place which must soon take place. He's telling them what's happening, which must soon take place in the time of John. Jesus is giving a prophecy to John about what's the things in his day. That's what he's giving us in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, the seven angels, the seven messages to the seven churches. It is not for our day. But, of course, they change it into a, a type or a symbol and, and fling it up here to 2,000 years later. I don't have any problem with types and shadows as long as you have scripture to prove your doctrine first. At which point, man, go at it. Give me types and shadows. As long as they're, you know, interpreted correctly, I'm all for it. <laughs> Otherwise, no, don't, don't go there. But then let's keep going. Revelation chapter 4 makes it clear that there's a cutoff. Let me read it. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. I will show you what must take place after these things. So here it's telling you clearly Jesus is going to show you what's going to take place after these things he had just mentioned. Revelation 2, 3, and 4. Well, Revelation 2, 1, 2, and 3, I'm sorry. So Revelation 4 is in the future. John is, is carried off into the future to see things from the future. All right. That proves anything prior to this was not, has, any, has nothing to do with the future. 
But this is the argument of the pre-trip pastor that Revelation chapters, you know, one, two, and three represents the church age. All right. It's obviously wrong since it clearly says here in Revelation four that it's talking about things which were um, prior to Revelation four, verse one. It was things during the time of John. Now there can be some typology that we can apply today. There's seven type of churches then, and there, I believe that there are seven type of churches now, and there's some things that we can pull out of that. But rapture, preacher rapture, certainly certainly does not exist. It, I mean, it would be the same as reading uh, about Noah's flood and taking the concept of the flood and saying, you know what? I think that symbolizes something. I think Noah's flood symbolizes um, world peace. Hmm, there we go. And just taking something and turning it into a symbol to fit something that sounds nice. Good. I like it, right? <laughs> so you can say, you know, world peace is coming. Look at Noah's flood. Noah's flood proved world peace is coming. I've got proof. Just look at Noah's flood. You can't just take a passage and turn it, turn it into a symbol and then interpret that symbol however you want. That is just wrong. You have to have two or three explicit scriptures before you can start getting into symbols and types and shadows. Some more pre-trib rapture proofs. <laughs> So this preacher pastor says, when we look at Revelation chapter 5, we can see there the whole church after the rapture is worshiping God at the throne. Oh, is that what it says? Well, let's read a little bit of Revelation 5. You can read it for yourself. Don't read my Bible. Read yours. We need to take in the book, Revelation 5, 8, the four living creatures. And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. You see the church? I don't. Each one of them holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We see the prayers of the saints there. Let's read verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So he says, well, yeah, I know it doesn't, it doesn't actually say that's the church. It says it's the elders and the angels and the, all the living creatures. I, okay, it just represents the church. There we go again. <laughs> Turning something into a symbol or a type or a shadow. It's, it's nonsense. All right. My next argument, their next argument, is an assumption that they make, which all the preachers kind of latch on to, is that Revelation 6 is the beginning of the tribulation. And so, one is, they say this stuff like, Revelation 6 is the, is, you know, the, those, those, those seals and stuff. And so, after like Revelation 4, on earth, the saints aren't mentioned, the Christians aren't mentioned being here. So, this, this is some assumptions I'm going to tackle. Again, first, Revelation 6, it doesn't say that that's the beginning of the, the tribulation. Um, and just over and over and over, the Bible proves. The Bible says explicitly that there are saints 
on the earth after Revelation 6. It says it over and over and over and over. The saints are on the earth after Revelation 6. So stop saying this lie that the church is not mentioned on the earth. That's, that's a complete lie, okay? I mean, how, how are they saved, these tribulation saints? They call these people tribulation saints. How are they saved if it's not by the blood of the Lamb? Why are they not part of the church? How are they even saved? How are the Jews going to be saved if it's not by the blood of the Lamb? And if they're not part of the church, you know, it gets confusing because the church was raptured and these people are saved, but how are they saved? That they're not part of church. Since they're not part of church, they're not raptured. They're going to go through the tribulation. Why do you think God's going to let them go through that stuff? But not the church. Like God is him, like partial or something. Come on. All right. I get a little worked up. Sorry. I'll try to calm down. So they make up this fictional category of people called the tribulation saints <laughs> with no scriptural backing, of course. Uh, and again, there's no You'll, you won't see tribulation saints anywhere in the Bible. Um, the tribulation saints are supposedly those that, that somehow get saved, but they're not part of the church <laughs> after, after the rapture. That doesn't even make sense. How are they going to be saved if they're not part of the church? All right, so they make the argument that the church will be raptured Therefore, there is no mark of the beast going to be present during the time of the church being on the earth. We're going to be raptured before the mark of the beast comes, is what they say. And this is why pre-trib is the most dangerous doctrine. One of the most dangerous doctrines I know of. Because they're going to say, well, we're going to be gone before the mark of the beast. So if you see something that's like a mark of the beast, that ain't it. So people could potentially take the mark of the beast. Those that are ignorant of the Bible will think it's okay to take this mark because they've been taught wrong. All right, the next argument is, and I'm just going to go through, through these kind of quickly, is using Noah as an example. But not the way you might think. They use, pre-tribs use Noah as an example proving pre-trib rapture. But they said, this was interesting, that... Noah being rescued doesn't represent the church being rescued. It represents the Jews being rescued. Okay, whatever. So where was the pre-trib rapture? They say, ah, Enoch was our type and shadow and symbol of a pre-trib rapture. Oh, Enoch. All right. So again, they're imposing an interpretation of a passage without any doctrine, without any scripture under it. Just, they believe something, and then they say, well, that's what it means. The same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, I can use Noah's flood and Sodom and Gomorrah just like they can and say, we are rescued before the, you know, the flood comes. We're rescued before the fire falls from heaven in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, a lot being rescued. You know, what are they rescued from? Wrath. Pre-tribbers use these passages, but I use them the same, and I'm post-trib. See? So th there's no argument there. We will be saved from the wrath of God. The problem with pre-trib is they don't know when the wrath of God is. They've never studied it, many of them. They just they want to assume 
It's the seven-year tribulation. All right, another argument where they're now, you know, shooting pot shots at post-trip. They say, you know, those post-tripper guys, you know, they, uh, they say we're going to get raptured and then come right back down to the earth. Like we're bungee Christians. We're being bungeed up in the air and then we're coming back down. And they try to make that sound silly. Well, it's absolutely true. We'll be taken up in the sky. And then we will come back down later. But why in the world would Jesus do that? Well, it's simple. We're saved from God's wrath. It's, it's, it's so you can call me a bungee Christian all you like. I don't care. He's going to take us off the, the earth, pour out his wrath, and we come back with him later. He'll sit down on the, his foot on the Mount of Olives and we'll enter in through the, the Eastern Gate and all that kind of stuff, and we'll be with him. So, another argument against post-tribbers like me. Oh, you know, you post-tribbers, that means you believe you've got it down to the day and hour then because you believe in post-trib. That's totally erroneous. Um, nobody knows the day or hour. I don't, no post-tribber does. I don't know of any post-tribber that actually says they know the day or hour. That's just a, a straw man argument. There's no, no post-tribber that says that. Their next argument against post-tribbers, they say, you know, pre-tribbers are the only ones that are looking for Jesus Christ to come. You post-tribbers are looking for the Antichrist to come. Mm. <laughs> uh, again, I don't know a single Christian, post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, anti-trib, pan-trib, pre-wrath, any of these guys that are just looking for the Antichrist. We're all looking for Jesus Christ, okay? Again, this is someone taking pot shots at, at, a, at a belief that, you know, they, they don't understand. All right, the next argument comfort against post-tribbers they say this well pre-trib is the only view that's comforting yeah wrong uh no uh it's comforting for me to know <laughs> that i won't endure god's wrath jesus saved me from the wrath of god on the cross so i won't endure the wrath ever particularly not the wrath to come. That's our comfort, which far outweighs, by the way, the wrath that the devil will be pouring out on the earth during the, the Great Tribulation. All right, yeah, there's some really bad stuff that's going to happen, okay? People are getting their heads chopped off and all that stuff, a lot of persecution. Um, just, just imagine, you know, Christians going through that, looking for the blessed hope, and Jesus shows up. What comfort to know that he'll rescue us because he know our the Christians will know God's wrath is about to be poured out because it's they deserve because what they're doing to us, the world deserves the wrath of God. And so the Christians will be comforted because they'll be rescued off the earth, taken off the earth, raptured, and in the sky they'll look down and see God's wrath poured out on those that remain on the earth. There's nobody left. It's on the earth other than the sinners, because all of God's people will be raptured. What a great comfort that is. First Thessalonians 5, 9. For God, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we, we should live together with him. Wherefore, 
In other words, for this reason, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you do. Why is that? Because God has not appointed us to wrath. He's, he's, he's telling us we're escaping the wrath of God. That's why we're comforted. So first, there is a rapture. Then there is God's wrath. The order is very clear. The question again comes back to when is God's wrath? Do a study for yourself. Don't believe me. But here's what you got to promise yourself. When you read it in your own Bible, you'll believe the Bible. Make a promise to yourself that you're going to believe that regardless of how it affects your beliefs. Don't believe your pastor. Don't believe anybody. Believe your Bible. Don't believe me. Believe your own Bible. All right. I'm going to stop there. Ah, uh, and so the question is, are you, are you ready? Are you ready for what's coming? The only way to be ready for the final years to come, the asteroid and all these different things, those are, you know, terrible things that are going to happen. Billions will die. Persecution. Christians will die by the millions, probably. The only way to be ready is to not be afraid of death. And the only way to not be afraid of death is to have Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord wash you from your sins. Make sure you've done that. Call out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Give him your entire life. Let him be Lord of your life. Let him rescue you from the wrath of God on that cross. On that cross is what saved us from the wrath that is to come 2,000 or so years later. Call out on the Lord today if you have not done so. All right, I'll stop there for time's sake. God bless you, and I'll see you next time.